Sometimes the new beginnings are hard and they're thrust upon us. They're not of our own choosing. Our body or our health fails us. Death comes upon a loved one. We face the realities of divorce, fired from a job, mental health challenges, you name it. Hard things, but they signal new beginnings all the same because we know that now things are going to be really different. But here's the good news. God is a God of new beginnings, and he can bring good even out of the hard ones that are thrust upon us. And he desires new beginnings for each one of us, regardless of our circumstances. And God is constantly in the work of recreating us. And if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, then we are a new creation. And we are also in the process of becoming a new creation every single day. And the bottom line today is that you would not lose hope. And I would encourage you, in fact, I would even challenge you, don't ever think that you cannot change or that your life cannot change because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. And that means all the possibilities are there in front of us. And think about it this way. Even if you're facing death, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you are on your deathbed facing death, you are facing the most incredible new beginning of all time. A lifetime with Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus or a believer and you're still trying to sort out what it means to know God and who God is and so on, you have an opportunity even here today for a new beginning of a changed life, of trusting Jesus, of following him. So new beginnings are possible for every single one of us. And new beginnings, I think, are necessary for every single one of us on a daily basis because God is in the business of new beginnings, of changing and making old things new, making dead things come to life. So today in our text, I want to look at a story, a historical account in Scripture that is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Uh, I'll confess that right at the start, and I'll encourage you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 22, and that's where we're going to look at new beginnings in one of the most incredible stories of new beginnings, I think, in Scripture. It's In 2 Kings 22, Kings and Chronicles are these books in the Bible that record the story of the kings and the people of Israel and the people of Judah and how well they are doing in following the covenant that is established between God and his people, these people of Israel. And in 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, we have these two different accounts and these records of some very similar things. And oftentimes you can read the parallel stories in each of these, and they come at them in a little bit different way, and they record some different things, but there's a lot of parallel between what we read in Kings and Chronicles as they tell the history of the kingdom of Israel starting from the time when it divided at the time of King Solomon. So Kings begins with the story of Solomon, and it begins with how the kingdom now divides into two. And if you remember, the united kingdom, if you want to call it that, of the people of Israel was only established under three different kings. Okay, Saul was the first one, then David, then Solomon. After Solomon, it split into two kingdoms. And then you have the northern kingdom, which was uh, known as Israel from then on, and the capital city was Samaria. So when you read in scripture and you see reference points to Samaria and so on, that is talking about the northern capital kingdom. And then the southern kingdom was Judah, the capital city being Jerusalem. And so you have different kings 
And as you read, you see throughout these accounts of how they are fighting with each other, fighting against each other, and yet they are kinsmen. They are of the same family. And we have this family infighting that is happening between these two kingdoms. But what's interesting as you read through Chronicles and Kings is you read how the accounts are given of who these kings are, often who their mother was, interestingly enough, and how long they served as king and how well they did. Some kind of summary, synopsis that says this is how well they did in terms of serving the Lord and keeping the covenants and so on. And so that's some of the background coming to Kings and Chronicles as we get these historical accounts of how these people lived out the promise and how well the kings led them. So as I said, today our primary focus is on King Josiah from 2 Kings chapter 22. Let's read verse 1 and 2. It says, Now Josiah was eight years old when he became king. There's an interesting fact. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidah. And he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. So there's the summary statement. Here was somebody who followed the example of his ancestor David. David was often the one who was kind of held up as the model. And then people, the kings, were compared against him. Eight years old. Now, I'm wondering if we have an eight-year-old boy in our congregation today. The kids are with us today, and I wonder if there's an eight-year-old boy who would actually help me do one thing. I haven't prepared anybody, so I'm putting you on the spot. Is there an eight-year-old boy who would help me? Come on up. Come on up. Is this mic on, Kevin? Can we have a mic on? Nice. Let's see. There we go. There we go. So tell us your name. Jasper. Hi, Jasper. So how old are you, Jasper? Eight. That's a good answer. (laughs) Okay. So now, here is an eight-year-old boy, just like Josiah, okay? Josiah was leading the people of Judah. And so I want us to have a bit of an experience of an eight-year-old boy who leads us. Okay, so, so come on, Jasper, come on up here. Let's just stand right here so people can see you a little bit better. Do you know the game Simon Says? Okay. Everybody knows that game. So I'm going to just start. I'm going to model it. And then, and then uh, Jasper is going to lead us in the game of Simon Says. Okay? So uh, what I need is everybody to stand up. You actually have to stand. Because when you lose in Simon Says, we'll go up one more. Here, come on, Jasper. Let's go up a little bit more. Okay. So when Simon says, you only do what I say to do when I say Simon says to do it. And if Simon doesn't say, then you don't do it. Otherwise, you sit down. Okay? So let's just practice. Okay? Simon says, do this. I'm going to do everything one-handed because I have a microphone in my hand. Okay? So that's okay. Simon says, do this. Simon says, do this. Do this. See, some of you can sit down now. Because Simon didn't say to do that. Right? Okay, you can stand up. You get one do-over. Okay? Okay. Simon says do this. Simon says do this. Simon says do this. Simon says do this. Do this. Oh, see? Some of you can sit down. Okay, sit down. Now it's ruthless time. Okay, now Jasper, you are now going to be Simon. And Simon says, okay? So I'm going to hold the mic. Now you are following an eight-year-old boy. Got it? Okay, can everybody see? I'm, I'll hold the mic. I'll hold the mic. And you, do, you can do it with both hands. Okay? Simon says touch your head. No, you got to do it. You actually have to do it, yeah. You mod it. There you go. Simon says, touch your toes. Ooh. Simon says, touch your knees. Simon, Simon says, says, touch your hand. Touch your head. 
All those who just touched your head, you can sit down now. Okay, the rest of you stay standing. Okay, keep going, Jasper. Simon says touch your nose. Simon says touch your cheeks. Simon says touch your ears. Simon says touch your nose. Touch your ears. Oh, some of you can sit down. One last time, here we go. Simon says touch your nose. Simon says touch your ears. Simon says touch your mouth. Someone says, touch your toes. That's a hard one. Touch your knees. Okay. Can we give Jasper a hand? Just like in the song that Dale led, some of you did really good. Awesome. So let's keep reading verse 3 and following. It says, in the 18th year of his reign, of this eight-year-old boy who started out, but now it's in the 18th year, okay? So 18 plus 8 is 26. Do we have a 26-year-old here? I won't make you do anything. I just want you to stand. Stand up, please. What's your name? Kyle? Hi, Kyle. That's a 26-year-old young man right there. Thank you, Kyle. That's all I'm going to ask you. You can sit down. Okay? That was easy. Thank you for being so bold. So now we have a 26-year-old who is leading the kingdom. I mean, he is a young man. And so let's read. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord. And he told him, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple. And trust this money to the men assigned to supervise the temple's restoration. Then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple of the Lord. And they will need to hire carpenters, builders, and masons. Also have them buy the timber and the finished stone needed to repair the temple. But don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. When I read this text, I think, boy, you know, one of the things this text reminds us of is I think it says something about young leaders. And sometimes we're we're hesitant to put young leaders in charge of anything significant. And I look at this and I go, wow, these are young leaders in charge. This is a young leader in charge of some pretty significant things. So they start with renovating the temple. And as they renovate the temple, what's interesting is some of the workers are going about and they're looking at the renovations and they're doing the things that whatever it is that they're doing and working with mason and stone and deconstructing things and building things. And then what happens is they find a scroll in amongst the rubble, maybe like this one. And they find a scroll, and they see this scroll, and they wonder, what is this? And they bring the scroll to the other leaders, and they say, we found the scroll. The high priest is the one who then gets it, and he gets this scroll. And it's the book of the law. It's the book of Moses. It's the written word of God for the people of Israel and Judah. And it's interesting because they've forgotten all about the scroll. They've forgotten all about this God who the scroll points to and was written by. And so they bring it to Josiah, and Josiah reads the scroll. What's so interesting is as Josiah reads the scroll, he is absolutely cut to the core. And he realizes again who this living God is, and how far they have drifted from him, and how they have not kept his commands. And how they have not done what he had called them to do. And he also reads about the the judgment of God and the anger of God 
that is there for those who disobey so blatantly God's laws and God's ways. And it says in the account that he tore his clothes in despair. Again, because of God's anger and judgment of not obeying the law. And so what Josiah does is he sent the priest and the court secretary and his own personal advisor to go inquire of the Lord. And they went to see Huldah the prophetess. And she responded back and sent this message of how God would send judgment and disaster, but also this truth that there would be grace because of the repentance of Josiah. So then they take this message back to the king, to Josiah. And he gathers all the people. And then he reads from this scroll. And if you look in, verse, in chapter 23 now, verses 1 to 3, it tells of this account where Josiah comes and he reads this scroll. And here's what it says. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And there the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. And the king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. And he pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands and laws and decrees with all his heart and soul. And in this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And all the people pledged themselves to this covenant. You know, when I look at this text, it just strikes me how when they read the word of God, when they read the law of the Lord, and they understood again who God is, of how this scroll had pointed them to this living God again, it changed them, it challenged them, it convicted them, it called them to repentance, and it called them to new beginnings. In Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, in chapter 4, it talks about the power of the word of God. And it says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And there is nothing in all creation that is hidden from God. It is naked and exposed before his very eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable to. So just like the writer of Hebrews articulated about the word of God, Josiah was experiencing this. He was experiencing this very truth that the word of God is alive, that the word of God is powerful, that the word of God cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It actually convicts us of our sins, helps us to see who we really are, and helps us to understand who God really is, and it changes us. It changed Josiah, and it changed the people of Judah. New beginnings, radical new beginnings. And so then we look at the reforms, and I want to just summarize some of the reforms. If you go and continue to read the text, you'll see all the things that, that Josiah did in the rest of chapter 23. But going back to the beginning of 22, I want to read again that summary statement that was given of Josiah In verse 2, it says, He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Here's some of those things that he did as the word of God convicted him. It says he delegated the authority to other trustworthy people and then he trusted them. He did that as he saw this temple being built and renovated. He did not, and he, in regards to handling money, in regards to handling the people's worship, he entrusted it to him. He, he said, in fact, these are trustworthy people. You don't even have to keep record of it because I trust them. And he put them in charge and he gave them authority. 
He called the people of God back to God. He removed all the idol worship from the temple. He burned all the articles used for this false worship. He did away with the idolatrous priest. He removed the shrine prostitutes. He tore down the altars, the Asherah poles, and he smashed them to bits. Then he had a huge celebration, a Passover celebration. And the Passover was established to remember the God who rescues, the God who saves, the God who, when the angel of death passed over the people as they were wanting to escape from Egypt and God was preparing them, how God safeguarded them and protected them. And so this Passover celebration was a remembering time of incredible celebration. And if you read the account, I was reading it through it again this week, and it's staggering as they brought their animal sacrifices, which is what they did in those days. They brought about 40,000 animals to be sacrificed in a week. Just think of the logistics of that for a minute. And they had this incredible Passover celebration. It says, like, unlike anything that they had ever had before. And here he was, only 26 years old, starting out on these reforms for the people of God, leading his people in repentance and in spiritual authority given to him by God. Then it says, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. It says in chapter 23, verse 25. See, Josiah went in a completely new direction. He began a complete new beginning. Because of the new beginning that was happening within his own heart, within his own life, and he led the people in a new beginning, a new direction. And here's why Josiah's new beginning, to me, his transformation is so remarkable. It's not just that he was so young, which he was, but if you look at his family of origin, and you see where he came from, you see his upbringing, it's even more staggering that he could lead in this new beginning. Because you see, if you look back to chapter 21, and we don't have time to go through all of that, but I encourage you to read it. If you look back to chapter 21, you see his family of origin. Josiah had some of the messiest family background you could ever imagine. Pure evil in so many ways. Along with lots of tragedy. Lots of family tragedy. You go back two generations and you meet his grandfather Manasseh. He ruled as king of Judah for 55 years. 55 years. If you think about that, that would have been the only corporate memory that those people that were living at that time would have had. Is this one ruler, Manasseh. It's all this generation would have known. The older generations maybe would have known something personally about Hezekiah, Manasseh's father, and some of the good things that had come out of his life, but most would only know Manasseh, Joseph's, Josiah's grandfather. This man who was pure evil in so many ways. It seems like a bit of an understatement in his summary of his life that says, well, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. In 21 verse 2. You see, Manasseh built pagan shrines and worshipped all kinds of false gods. He practiced sorcery and divination and consulted with mediums and, and psychics. He also sacrificed his very own son on this altar of false worship. That would have been Josiah's uncle. It also says that he even set up an astral pole right in the temple, the very temple that was established to wor- worship the one true living God. And it was almost like a snub right in the face of God to put this idol worship right in the middle of the temple, which is what Manasseh did. It also says that Manasseh murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled 
from one end to the other with innocent blood. That's the description it gives in that account. This was Josiah's family legacy. This was grandpa. Not the kind of guy you want to go fishing with, throw a ball around with, invite your friends over and say, hey, come and meet my grandpa. And then we meet his father, Amon. Comes right after. Because you see, Amon became king after Manasseh and Amon only ruled for two years. Pretty short tenure. Not 55 years like Manasseh. He also did so much evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father Manasseh had done. So much so that his own officials conspired and killed him. His own inner circle, his own trusted people, his own group. They couldn't handle it. And after two years, they took his life. I'm sure they thought, well, Manasseh was bad, but this guy is even worse. So we don't even see a whole lot of his story. Didn't live long enough. Didn't lead long enough. It's a very brief account, but we know that it was... Pure evil number two, following in the footsteps of his father Manasseh. So for Josiah, this was dad, murdered at the hands of his closest advisors, and here he is facing this tragedy as an eight-year-old boy, his father now murdered. Think of the trauma that he would have experienced. Remember again that the corporate memory of all these people in these past 57 years was nothing but evil and violence and murder. That's all they knew. You know, so often our family of origin, where we come from, our parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, that family that we're a part of, it it shapes us. We know that. And I know for a lot of people, I've heard many of your stories, there are storage of baggage and pain. And sometimes our past immobilizes us and allows us or stops us actually from moving forward in life and healing in life and making a difference in life. And it, for some people, causes us to, be, to view our lives and ourselves as victim, constantly victim. Might be justified if you hear the stories of some people and what they've gone through and they start to believe the lies that say they're not worthy of new beginnings, they're not worthy of making a difference in the world, they're not worthy to be used by God, but... They're totally immobilized in one way or another. You know, Josiah could have said that. Josiah had every right to say, you know what, I'm I'm too young. Like, I am way too young to do this. He could have also said, if you just knew my family of origin, which you people would have known, I am just too messed up to lead or to be used by God. There is no way that God would ever want to use me to lead this people of God or to serve God in any way because my background is such a mess that you cannot believe it. He could have said that. I have no idea how Josiah got beyond this. Scripture doesn't give any record of that. Maybe it was those 18 years from 8 to 26 where there was a lot of healing that happened. I don't know. Something was going on. We don't get record of that. But somehow he didn't allow his messed up family and messed up past to limit him from the new beginnings that God had for him. He didn't use it as an excuse or an obstacle in any way. It seemed that he just turned his face towards God and he started walking. Our family of origin matters and it shapes us. We know that. You know that. Many people live out of that. We walk with a limp because of that. Others can celebrate and say, oh, I'm so thankful for the family that I've come from. Our family just met together a couple of weeks ago in Winnipeg, and we had a couple of big celebrations. It was my dad's 90th birthday, 
and it was my niece's wedding. And so we had a weekend in Winnipeg where on Saturday we celebrated 90 years of faithfulness of celebrating my dad and grandpa and great-grandpa. And the next day it was this wedding celebration of a niece's wedding and all the family was there and together and it was wonderful. Our family isn't perfect by any means. We have our issues as well too, but we're thankful for those that have shaped us, fathers and mothers, grandpas and grandmas who have shaped us in so many ways. But I know that's not everybody's story. I know that's not your story for many of you. I have a friend of mine who is a pastor who's closing in on retirement now. And he is a man who has lived a life of love and of service and of sacrifice and of joy continuously. He has started organizations. He has led countless people to the Lord. His ministry and his life has impacted countless thousands of people. That is very safe to say. He has had such a huge impact. When you interact with him today, he's still filled with the joy of the Lord in so many ways. But if you know his story, you might say, you have no reason to have that kind of outlook on life. You see, he grew up in a home that was filled with hatred, filled with an angry, alcoholic father who abused them, uh, filled with a mother who was so negligent and so promiscuous that she would do things with other men, with the children in the room that no child should ever see. And he bounced around from foster home to foster home, trying to make sense out of life, figure it out as a young boy. But he grew up without bitterness, without a victim mentality, and seeing a God who changes and redeems and is a God of new beginnings. And he set his face towards God and he started to live in such a way that he believed God for who he is and he believed God for what he promised. That healing is possible, that change is possible, that new beginnings are possible. And I so admire that. You see, his life of pain that he grew up in, it didn't define him. He chose early on that this would not define me. That if the gospel is really true, then I'm going to believe it. I'm going to put my weight in it. I'm going to trust it, and I'm going to walk in it. And his life has left a legacy that shows the truth of that exponentially. He has children and grandchildren who love the Lord and a ministry that has impacted countless people. When I look at the life of Josiah and this account in Scripture, I see at least four things that are part of this story that I think give us a good guide to what new beginnings need and require. There would be many more. You could add many, but I see at least four in this story. And the first one is the Word of God. That the Word of God convicted Josiah, changed Josiah, that as he became, as he came to know the Word of God that pointed to the one true God, it changed him. Just like it said in Hebrews, it it showed him the sin in his own life. It led him to repentance. It, It convicted him and it showed him the one true God. And so having the word of God in our lives. In Psalm 19, one of my favorite psalms, it talks about that. The first part talks about creation. And then in verse 7, Psalm 19 says this. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, gold, even the finest gold. 
They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What an incredible truth about the power of the word of the, of the Lord. And so I see in Josiah's life a big part of and a piece of what caused new beginnings to be possible for them was that the word of the Lord became alive in their life again. And on that note, I just want to encourage each one of you, even now in summertime, don't, don't take a break from the word of the Lord. Immerse yourself in the word of the Lord. And if you struggle with that and it's like, oh man, you start a Bible app or a plan and you mess up and it's like you walk with this guilt, hey, put that aside. There is grace for that and start today. And say, God, I'm going to start over for the hundredth time. Because God is a God of new beginnings. And just immerse yourself in the word of the Lord again and say, Lord, speak to me. Second thing I would say is the spirit of God was a part of this. It's not articulated explicitly in the story. But the only way that Josiah could actually be convicted and repent, as we see in Scripture in the New Testament, is to have the Spirit of God at work in his life. We know that the Spirit of God was there right from the beginning, right in creation. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit of God was there and evident. And even though it's not articulated in the story, that the Spirit of God was working in his life. Which leads us to the third component of repentance. I think new beginnings, as we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives, new beginnings begin when we recognize the need to change. Repentance is about going in a different direction. That's what Josiah was doing, and he was taking the people of Judah with him to go in a different direction from where his father and his grandfather had taken them. He says, we're going to start over. We're going to write a different story. We're going to create a new legacy by the power of God. And it began with repentance. Recognizing the need for repentance the sin in their own lives because of the word of the Lord, and then trusting that God would change him, which he did. And in repentance, that's where we face the truth and the pain of our lives. And sometimes that's hard to do, but that's what allows us to move forward from where we're stuck. And then lastly and fourthly, what I see in this story is no excuses. Is this mindset and this posture and this attitude of no excuses. Josiah could have had justifiably many excuses if we talked about, I'm too young, my family's too messed up, I come from too much pain, I can't change, I can't lead in change, and he had no excuses. He refused to go down that victim path. He said, no, we're going to have a new beginning here. Again, I have no idea how God infused him with the Spirit of God in a way that he could do that, but he did that, no excuses. So be encouraged. Get involved with the Word of God again in your life. Allow the Spirit of God to be at work in your life. Make repentance a regular part of your prayer time. Ready to have the convictions of God in your heart and the forgiveness of God all over again. And live your life with no excuses. Don't make excuse that God can't use you, can't change you, can't transform you, can't make a new beginning in your circumstances. That is not true. It is a lie of the enemy. Do you know, even more than what we do or what we say, what I want you to know and I want you to hear is who God is and what God does. Because Josiah was overcome with the living God who changes people. 
and change his circumstances. And he trusted that. And as you get into the word of God, you start to see the character of God and the face of God and the truth of God and the love of God, and it changes you. And that's when new beginnings are possible. So my question is just simply this. What is your new beginning today that God is calling you to trust him in? Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your past, regardless of your age, no matter how young or how old, what is the new beginning that God is calling you to trust in him today? Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for the record of this history of stories like Josiah and so many others that can encourage us, that can shape us, that can challenge us, and that can change us. Thank you, Lord, for the new beginnings that you constantly gave the people of Israel and the people of Judah and their kings and the grace that is continuously seen throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And God, thank you for your grace for us and your desire that we see the reality of our sin, but that through repentance and your grace, we are changed and transformed and we don't have to own it anymore. It doesn't identify us. It doesn't shape us anymore. And it doesn't constrict us. And Lord, where there is pain in our father and grandfather generations, Lord, I pray that you would break off those lies and the pain and the hurt and that you would bring new beginnings into lives of people here today. And God, that you would do a new work. Help us to be a new generation that sets a new course, that, that goes in a new path, trusting in you and walking in faith. Would you give us that courage and that conviction Help us to make no excuses. So Lord, we just give ourselves again to you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.